This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. Hi, my name is Dr. Lou Diaz, pastor of Butte Bible Fellowship located at 2255 Pillsbury Road in Chico. And I'm providing inspirational teaching for you from God's Word each week. Listen to my weekly radio program, Encouraging Words with Dr. Lou Diaz, at 10 a.m. on Saturday or 10 a.m. on Sunday. If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521. Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet shod with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this important truth. Thank you for what you're about to teach us. We need to hear from you because we feel the heat of the battle and we're struggling. We need you to help us to be more than overcomers, more than conquerors in Christ who loved us and gave himself for us. So teach us about your word and about how to survive spiritual warfare. In Jesus' name, amen. In our last message in this series on Ephesians, which is called ID Check, a study of Ephesians, we have been seeing who we are in Christ. And as we learn about our identity, we come now to these very practical last words of Paul saying, you are in a spiritual battle. And the evil one knows that you've been transferred from the dominion of his darkness to the kingdom of God's beloved son. But he's not giving up on you. He still wants to harass you and oppress you if he could, and even to try to distract you and derail you but you stand firm. Now, there are two extremes many believers go to regarding spiritual warfare. Either they see a demon behind every bush and make everything about spiritual warfare, or they live in total denial of spiritual warfare whatsoever. I tend to think that our congregation would be in that latter category, that we tend to go on as if spiritual warfare is not affecting us. However, those who ignore or who are ignorant of spiritual warfare will be victims of it. The danger on the battlefield of earth is that we do not take the enemy seriously, and therefore we fail to put on 
all of the armor that God provides for us. We are to be aware of the devil's schemes. And so that's why Paul closes his book with a warning about the war and instructions on how to survive this spiritual warfare in which we are engaged. And I did not turn that on to warm it up. So the outline, in other words, to survive spiritual warfare, you need to know that God's power is greater than Satan's. And secondly, you need to put on the full armor of God. And third, you need to realize you're in a spiritual battle. And fourth, you are to stand firm. First of all, know that God's power is greater. This is in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10, where it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. I want you to notice that Paul stacks three words having to do with power in the first half of verse 10. The uh, Greek words here are dunamis. The word strong is like dynamite. The next one is kratos. And the next one is iskus. All three of these are words regarding power, strength, and might. Now, why does he do that? For two reasons. Number one, that you may know that God and Satan are not equal powers. The Bible says in 1 John 4, 4, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. God is the creator, and Satan was a created being. At one time, he was an angel named Lucifer who wanted to take over and sit on God's throne and led a rebellion of one-third of the angels against God, and God cast them down to earth And now Lucifer is known as the devil or Satan, and the fallen angels are known as demons, and they oppose God and attack anything associated with him. But God is the creator. He is all-knowing, he's all-powerful, he's all-wise, he is all-loving, and Satan is a created being with limitations. He doesn't know everything. He's not all-powerful. We can rejoice at the victory that Christ has over Satan, In Colossians 2.15, it says, Jesus, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. When a general would defeat an army, he would march them through an arch of triumph to signify that they were defeated. And when Jesus died on the cross, he marched the evil forces through an arch of triumph because they're defeated. The war has already been won, and we're involved in a mopping up process. In 1 Peter 3, 22, it says, Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels and authorities and powers in submission to him. We also see in chapter 1 of Ephesians, it says that Christ rose from the dead. He's seated at the right hand of the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. God has placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So we already have the victory. But in the meantime, life on earth, there are battles of temptation that go on regularly. There are spiritual forces working against good in our society. And what we are to do 
is to acknowledge that though Satan is not equal in power with God, because God's creator and he's a created angel, a fallen angel, still Satan is greater in power than you and me. We should never take him to be a cream puff when he's a rattlesnake. We should never underestimate his power. That's why we have to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. That's why Martin Luther said if we rely on our own strength, we would be losing. But we rely on Jesus Christ, the man of God's choice. Doth ask who that may be, Lord Sabbath be his name. Jesus Christ is our Savior, our champion, our Lord. And so we are to rely on the Lord's power, the strength of his spirit, and the force of biblical truth required for victory. In other words, believers are to stand in the stronger strength, in the mightier might, and in the more powerful power of God to be able to withstand the attacks of the devil and his demons. Secondly, we're to put on the full armor of God. Ephesians 6, 11 and verse 13. Verse 11, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Verse 13, therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything, to stand. The danger is that because we don't take the enemy seriously enough, we fail to put on the full armor of God. The word put on conveys an idea of permanence. That is, that it should be our everyday attire. Our lifelong gar uh, attire should be the full armor of God. Now, remember this, that when Paul was in prison, he was chained to a Roman soldier. And he would be six, they would have six-hour shifts. And then he would be chained to the next Roman soldier. So what did he have all day to do? To look at the Roman soldier and see his full armor. And he used that as an analogy for us on how we can have spiritual defense and why it's so important and necessary for us to have the full armor. Now, the devil attacks by using schemes. Schemes are crafty methods his corrupt cleverness, and his devious deception. It says that he's a schemer, a deceiver, and a concealer because he is putting a veil over unbelievers' eyes so that they may not see the love of God in the face of Christ. He uses the world's evil system to promote his lies and mind control and his God-hateful agenda. But by faith, you're to put on the full armor of God. I remember I was a high schooler and I was working in a hospital in housekeeping. So my job was to vacuum the carpets and sweep the floors and buff them up nice and shiny. And I would see patients and I would go in praying. And one day I said to a woman, um, have you ever heard of the four spiritual laws? And she says, no, I haven't. And I read them to her and miracle of miracles happened. No nurse or doctor came into that room during that time of me sharing. And then she prayed to receive Christ, and the next day she wasn't there. She had had three heart attacks. I wondered if she had died, or maybe she was discharged and went home. The point was, I was a secret agent for the Lord, working undercover as a custodian in a hospital, 
But every day I'd go into my prayer closet, which was the custodial closet, and I would put on the full armor of God, make sure that the belt of truth was on, the breastplate of righteousness, make sure my feet were shod with the peace of the gospel, and I had the helmet of salvation, the shield of faith, and the sword of the Spirit, and prayer. I made sure I had the full armor of God. There was a room where a woman was uh, hurting herself, so much so that they had to take restraints and tie her to the uh, bedside so that she couldn't hit herself. And I went over to her and I said, Ma'am, can I pray for you? And she said, Yes. I prayed for her. The next time I went into that room, they had removed the restraints. God is at work, and he wants us to not only be on the defense, but also on the offense. And the only way we can do that is to put on the full armor of God. And you put that on through prayer. George Duffield, I'm sure you know that name, wrote in his hymn these words about putting on the armor of God. If you don't know his name, at least you know his song. He wrote, stand up, stand up for Jesus. Stand in his strength alone. The arm of flesh will fail you. You dare not trust your own. Put on the gospel armor, each piece put on with prayer. Where duty calls or danger, be never wanting or absent from there. Number three, we are to realize the battle is spiritual. Ephesians 6.12 For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We are in spiritual warfare. And our struggling, it's better translated our wrestling match, is not against physical foes, but with spiritual enemies. You see, back then, combat was often face-to-face and hand-to-hand. So it was like a wrestling match, and uh, it was important to realize that in wrestling with the enemy, the enemy uses trickery and deception. I was trying to reach a hoodlum teenager for Christ, and I found out he loves WWF wrestling. So I took him to WrestleMania, and we saw Andre the Giant and Hulk Hogan and other uh, wrestling champions. And you could see how fake it was that the, uh, the uh, antagonist would have some piece of metal hidden in his shorts, and he'd pull it out when the ref wasn't looking and hit the good guy on the head. And the good guy would be down on the ground for the count, and everyone's booing, and, and then he would get up and give that guy a what's for, and then you'd be excited. But the point was there was a lot of trickery and deception going on. And in our wrestling with the enemy, there's a lot of trickery and deception going on. You know, Satan wants to ask you questions like, uh, well, is God completely good? Maybe he's holding out on you. That's the first question he asked of Eve. He wants to get you to doubt your salvation. He wants to get you to uh, uh, rely on his um, sugar-coated acid pills. They taste good on the outside, but they give you heartburn on the inside. So he uses trickery and deception as we're in this wrestling match with the enemy. Notice that there's four designations 
of the different strata and rankings of those demons and the evil natural super the evil supernatural empire in which they operate. In other words, it's a highly structured army that's working against us. And we need not be afraid of them. We need to be aware of the schemes which are to divide and conquer, to try to get us to be distracted and derailed from kingdom work and to, uh, to cooperate and move in and be just like the world. Be aware of that and stand against it. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 and 4, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. So when I say spiritual warfare, you're not to uh, get an armament like Rambo with a bunch of grenades and uh, machine guns to fight the enemy. We have the Word of God and the Holy Spirit of God to fight against the spiritual forces. Now, let me give you two biblical examples of people who used um, weapons of the world in spiritual conflict. One would be Moses. Remember when Moses saw an Egyptian taskmaster beating on a fellow Hebrew? What did he do? He beat up that taskmaster so bad he died and he buried the taskmaster under the sand. And that came back to bite him. He had to run away because he used an earthly strategy for a spiritual battle. Another person like that would be Peter. When they came to get Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, what did he do? He pulled out a sword and went swinging wildly. Terrible aim. This guy ducks his head, but he, the sword catches his ear and sends it flying. Now, fortunately, Jesus retrieved the ear and put it back and healed the man. And he says, put the sword away. In other words, this is not a physical battle. This is a spiritual battle. Some people want to fight against a Hitler by killing him. Dietrich Bonhoeffer planned to put a bomb in a meeting that Adolf Hitler was in. Uh, the table was so powerfully constructed that the bomb went off, but it didn't kill Adolf Hitler. He was found out, and Dietrich Bonhoeffer and others were put in jail, and ex he was eventually executed. He was trying to do battle in the realm of the world, the flesh, not in that, the realm of the spirit. We have spiritual warfare, and we need spiritual weapons, and the weapon we have can tear down the str mightiest stronghold of the evil one. Look at 1 Peter 4, 8 and 9. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. This is the key. Because we're in spiritual warfare, because we're wrestling against powers and principalities, we must use spiritual weapons and we must stand in the faith. And that brings us to point number four, stand firm. Ephesians 6, 14. Stand firm then. We are to stand against and keep standing up against evil attacks. So to remain standing and to offensively stand against the lies and temptations of Satan, this is possible only through Christ. We're to stand firm. And I did a study of that phrase, stand firm. In 1 Corinthians 10, 12, it says, but if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. In other words, 
uh, do a self-examination. How, what evidence do you see of the battle in your life? And how do you need to get ready for battle? As you consider your armor, are the parts in good shape? Or are they moldy and rusty? We need to stand firm and be careful that we not fall. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. In other words, uh, stand firm means let nothing move you, let nothing distract you or derail you. Be active and focused on serving the Lord. 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous and be strong. Don't be fearful, don't be uh, running the wrong way. Be courageous and strong. And just another quick example would be here in um, Colossians 4.12. Stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. When you grow in maturity, you can stand firm. Now, have you ever been in a tug-of-war match? You know, half the team goes over this way, and there's a pit in the middle, and half the other team goes on the other way. And what do you do when you grab the rope? First of all, you get a good grip. Secondly, you brace yourself, don't you? you? You're leaning back. You have the right position that you're not going to be pulled over to the other side. You're not going to be pulled into the pit. That's a painting of what it means to stand firm, that we are to dig our feet into the ground and say, here I stand, I can do no more. As Martin Luther said those very words. Well, we're going to wrap this up by quickly going through each of the items of the armor in an interesting way that will capture your imagination and help you to understand why they're essential. First, I want you to just touch your waist and say belt of truth. Go ahead and say belt of truth. Okay, now if you were a Roman soldier, you wore a loose tunic. And the worst thing that you can do is go into a wrestling match to the death with a loose tunic because they can grab you from any position and yank you down and stab you and kill you. So the thing you need to tuck in all the loose garment is a belt. The belt holds the looseness from flapping all over. You're girding your loins for action by putting this belt of truth on. Now the belt of truth, of course, is the truth of God's word and it's also integrity. It's a sincere commitment to live honestly and openly before the Lord so that your walk matches your talk. And in order to do that, it says in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. In other words, everything that hinders is tucked away. Anything that weighs you down is thrown to the side. You are relying on the belt of truth, the word of God, because the truth holds everything else together. It's where the sword of truth goes. All right, next is the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness, uh, the soldiers used to have a a long, tough um, cover to their tunic that had horses' hooves sewn onto it, covering the major um, parts of the vital organs. And so this represents the righteousness of God. We receive the righteousness of God through faith in Christ. Christ gives us his righteousness, but then as we live in obedience and in communion with Jesus, his righteousness 
becomes more of a practical daily practice of ours, and that's our spiritual breastplate. The lack of holy living leaves us vulnerable to the great enemy of our souls. Next, we have the shoes of gospel peace. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Roman soldiers wore boots that had nails in them. In other words, the nails coming out from the shoes were to grip the ground in combat, kind of like a baseball player's shoes with cleats, only they were nails back then. And so the gospel of peace pertains to the good news that is Jesus Christ dying on the cross for our sins, rising from the dead to give us eternal life, and we have peace with God and the confidence that God is on our side because of what Christ has done for us. So it's that confidence that we have in Christ that's spoken of here in the shoes of gospel peace. I have a peace, peace like a river that, uh, that uh, floods my soul. And we see that in Romans 8, Romans 8, 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And then verses 37 to 39. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you have that confidence? Believe it. Romans 8, 37 to 39. Have that confidence and also share the faith with others. When you give the faith to others, it's twice yours. So the shoes fit with the peace of the gospel is a confidence in Christ, but also a willingness to share Christ with others. Fourth is the shield of faith. Now this one has become very precious to me as I've experienced spiritual warfare many a time and had to rely on the shield of faith. Someone gave me a card that said, Pastor, you're a 1,000 arrow um, soldier for Christ. And it showed this uh, soldier with a uh, shield and it had a thousand arrows in it, fiery arrows. And so some people might quit after 10 arrows, some after 100 arrows, but apparently this person thought I was a, a 1,000 arrow uh, pastor because of uh, the size of my shield of faith. And here's what I learned. The shield of faith is having faith in the faithful one to keep you faithful. You see, the Greek word for faith is pistos, P-I-S-T-I-S. And that word it means faith, and it means faithfulness. So when you have faith in the faithful one, he keeps you faithful. So no matter how many fiery darts are shot at you, and they used to take arrows, light them up on fire, and shoot them at people, so not only would it go in, they would catch them on fire, but if they have this shield, it would extinguish the fire. It would put that fire out and we have that shield of faith. The Bible says in 1 John 5, 4, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. So we're to keep on trusting in the Lord even when Satan's uh, bombarding us with a bunch of fiery arrows. Next is the helmet of salvation. And this, of course, protects the most important part, your head. Because if they could bash your head in, you're a goner. If Satan can get into your head and get you thinking wrong thoughts, he can mislead you. And so Paul is not talking about the helmet of receiving salvation. He's talking about having salvation, the assurance of salvation. Do you have the blessed assurance that Jesus Christ is your Savior and Lord? 
If so, 1 Thessalonians 5.8 says this is the helmet of the hope of salvation, this, the hope that comes out of being saved, that God who began a good work is faithful to complete it, and that he's with you, and you could be assured you are God's child. How many of us have ever had a thought where we questioned whether we are genuinely saved? I would say all of us have had a moment, if not more, where Satan has tried to get us to question our salvation. Right there, you wonder if that's not proof that you have a genuine faith because you keep on heading towards the Lord and keep on trusting him, but Satan wants to get you to question it. The Bible says in 1 John 5, 13 and, uh, 14 and 15, we write this that you may we write these to those who believe that you may know that you have eternal life. So eternal life, can, we can know we have it because we are in Christ. Finally, the sword of the Spirit is the offensive weapon, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, there's two words for sword in Greek. One is, uh, uh, two words for a word. One is uh, logos, which means a broad, long sword, the big sword, and Rima, which is the short sword. And so the word of God that is spoken of here is the Rima, not the Logos. In other words, when Satan attacks, don't throw the whole Bible at him. Throw a verse at him that applies in that situation. Did you notice that when Satan was tempting Jesus, he said, why don't you turn these stones into bread? You've been fasting for 40 days. And Jesus quoted from Deuteronomy, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. What did Jesus do? He used a rima, that is the short dagger for close combat. He quoted a specific verse against that temptation, and he got victory. Do you need encouragement? I want to share my spiritual gift of encouragement with you. If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521. Call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521 to find out how you can connect with our weekly worship services and faith-building messages from God's Word.